Tonight I drove about 13.1 miles to come for the service. Uh, this morning our bulletin highlighted that Mitchell Vick, our missionary in Ster Sterling, Scotland, is now back home and he is 4,473 miles from here. Last Sunday, John Scott conducted a meeting for those who might be interested in the 2017 Guatemala mission trip, which is about 1,312 miles from here. This summer, 65 students and their parents will travel about 800 miles to serve in the Navajo Reservation in Crown Point, New Mexico. And last fall, Gary Cochran led a group to Haiti, about 1,792 miles away. This fall, I'll make a trip that I've made almost every year for 30 years, and the distance to that place in West Africa is 6,729 miles. And somewhere in here, Eager is sitting, and he's going to travel home on Wednesday. Where are you, Eager? There he is. And we figured out before service, it's about 7,000 miles to go back home uh, to Russia. Distance. Distance. We use it to measure how far we are from each other. And most of the time, as I just used it, distance is thought of as a physical measurement. But that's not the only way to think about distance. There's also social distance, economic distance. There's moral and political distance. There's racial and religious distance. There's emotional and psychological distance. In fact, in any one part of our city, in just one area, it can contain both wealth and poverty. Great distance between them. It can contain education and ignorance, or security and fear. Great distance between them. And though the physical distance separating people might be small, the social, the emotional, the spiritual distance between them can be overwhelming. It's often been said, I've said it, you've said it, that our world is shrinking. And what we mean is that fast transportation and instant communication is making the distance between cities and continents almost insignificant now. But that's the point. We can't measure our world just by the size of its progress. We also have to look at the size of its problems. I find it ironic that as the world shrinks, the distance between people often gets larger. People can live in the same house and not talk to each other. How do you measure that distance? They can live in the same neighborhood and be suspicious and fearful of their neighbors. They can live in the same city and be isolated. Some of us can get in our car in our garage, close the door, and never talk to another person until we open the door to our office. We can drive out of a gated community, get on a freeway, go downtown, and pass thousands and thousands of people, park in a parking garage, go up to our office, and see the same people we saw yesterday. Distance. And tonight what I'd like us to do is, is to look at what I think is maybe the most profound distance. It's not miles and hours. It's the distance between courage and fear, between determination or hesitation, the distance between confidence and doubt 
And tonight Jesus will show us that this distance is measured in units of prayer. I mean, that's when there's a decision to be made and a transition to be moved to, to go through. When we need to move from one place to another, the way Jesus did it was in units of prayer. But how do we do this? How important is this to us? What do we think of prayer? I'm going to share a little statistic with you, and it comes from surveys given by U.S. News and World Report, the Christian Science Monitor, BeliefNet, and Ohio University's School of Journalism. Some surveys that they have done indicate that, first of all, 80% of Americans pray every day. Some of them do it on their knees. Some of them require beads. Some of them need a pew. And some of them, it doesn't matter where they are or what they have. But whatever form it takes, clearly prayer is important to most Americans. 71% of Americans believe God answers prayer. Now, when you ask them what they pray for, what they pray for most often are these. 78% health and safety. 76% pray for forgiveness. 93% pray for guidance. And 91% give thanks and prayer. And many more things. And one of the most surprising findings is that even... Some unbelievers pray. The National Opinion Research Center in Chicago found that 14% of those who have no religion of any kind pray every single day. Now, it was interesting, Andrew Greenlee, who oversaw that study, his comment was, he said, maybe they're just hedging their bet, just, just in case. But for whatever it is, I find it interesting that people... Both believers and non-believers, they know exactly where to begin in prayer. And Jesus knew this better than anyone else. He was clearly a man of prayer. I want you to think about some prepositions that might help tell the story of Jesus. I think they show us how and why and when he prayed. First preposition, he prayed before. He prayed before he chose his apostles in Mark 6, before teaching them to pray in Mark 11, before breaking the news of his death in Mark 9. He prayed before walking on the sea in Matthew 14. He prayed before raising Lazarus in John 11, before. He also prayed after. He prayed after the 70 returned with a report of their mission in Mark 10. He prayed at he prayed at his baptism in Luke 3. He prayed at the Passover feast in John 17. He also prayed in. He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew 26. And he prayed on. He prayed on the Mount of Transfiguration in Mark 9. And he prayed on the cross in Luke 23. Before, after, at, in, on. Yes, this tells the story. Prayer for Jesus was personal, and it was daily. Leaving heaven was like leaving home for him. The distance was enormous. And I say all this because with all that in mind, all the places and the times and the ways that Jesus prayed, 
It struck me odd one day when I was reading through my favorite gospel, the gospel of Mark, and it just struck me that Mark doesn't mention all those prayers. In fact, Mark only focuses on three prayers of Jesus. And it made me wonder, among the many times he prayed, why is Mark highlighting these three? And the more that I looked at it, the more that I saw that each of them was a turning point. Each was a transition for Jesus. Each was a place of decision. And Mark focused on them, I think, to show Jesus moving through transition. You see, Jesus, too, like all of us, had the choice of faith or fear. What am I going to go with? He, stu- he too, stood in the gap between determination and hesitation, confidence and doubt. If I don't believe that, then what does he have to say to me? I'm there. And I think he was there, too, and he made those decisions. And for him, the distance between these, these various units was always measured in prayer. And what I'd like to do for the rest of our time is to look at how Jesus prayed through transition. How he made decisions of what he was going to do, and he did it in prayer. First, Jesus prayed through personal decision. Personal decision. Mark chapter 1, verse 35 through 39. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Now, what is the decision here? What is the transition? Well, put yourself in Jesus' place. He is in Galilee. He is thought of as an amazing teacher, an amazing healer. And the crowds are gathering. He's rapidly becoming the local hero Word is spreading, everybody's talking, he's popular, he's in demand, whether he wants it or not, and he doesn't want it, he is a celebrity. Listen to a few verses just from one chapter out of Mark, Mark 1. Verse 21, the people were amazed. Verse 27, the people were all so amazed. Verse 27, evil spirits obey him. Verse 34, Jesus healed many. And that's just from one chapter, the first chapter. The pace of Jesus' ministry, it's long and it's exhausting. According to this story, it begins early and it lasts all day. In fact, Jesus has to get up, verse 35 says, very early, very early, just to have some time alone with his Father in prayer. And when Peter searches for Jesus, He is representing 
everyone's search. In fact, that's how Peter puts it in verse 37. Everyone is looking for you. I've just been sent out to find you. You see, the need is great. Everyone needs him. And Jesus could easily just stay up there in Galilee. Galilee of the Gentiles, it was called. It was safer. And he could stay up there the rest of his ministry and do some very good work. But see, that's the turning point. That's his question. That's his decision. Will he stay in Galilee? where he is the local hero, where everyone is following him, he's popular, or will he continue with his father's mission? That's the decision. And how does Jesus work through it? How does he make the decision? Well, he gets up early. He finds some time alone with God. Because for Jesus, Prayer is not just a place to make requests. It's not just a place to give God his to-do list for the day. It is a place to make decisions. And so, he prays, he makes his decision, and he picks up his mission, and he goes on. How do I make decisions? How do you make decisions? How can we move through transition? Where do we begin? Jesus began by finding a place to pray and by giving God his way. I want us to pause right now and ask God to have his own way with us. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. So first, Jesus prayed through a personal decision. But he also finds himself 
surrounded by people, and he prays through what I call a national decision. Look at Mark chapter 6, verse 44. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on the mountainside to pray. Now, this occurs right after another story where Jesus had sent the twelve out on a mission of healing and of teaching. But when they return, there is this massive crowd, eventually numbering 5,000 men. Now, the twelve were supposed to go and be healing and teaching, but you can't help but wonder, is that all that they have done? What about this 5,000? Now, all four Gospels tell the story, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and John adds a little piece that brings some clarity. John 6 says that this group of 5,000 came to make Jesus king by force. That's a quote from John 6. And so this is not just a chance crowd. This crowd was gathered. This crowd came with purpose. This is the, the beginning of a nationalistic rebellion. And so Jesus is faced with a national decision. When he sees the crowd, he immediately thinks of this Old Testament phrase, which he uses in the story, sheep without a shepherd. And it's no accident that this phrase was used over and over in the Old Testament to describe a nation without a leader, without a political leader. One example is Numbers 27, where Moses prays for God to raise up a leader so the people will not be, and Moses says, sheep without a shepherd. And that story in the Old Testament happened also in a solitary place. And the man that they chose was Joshua, that just happens to be the Hebrew equivalent for Jesus. And so again, Jesus is faced with a decision. Will he give in to the pressure, to the crowds, to the demand? Or will he stay on course with his Father's mission? All we have to do is look at how he moves. How does he handle it? And we see his style. How does he move through this crisis? The first thing he does is he forces, and that's the language, he forces the 12 to leave. My major professor in grad school says a good way to translate this is, you guys get in the boat and get out of here. They probably gathered the crowd. And then he dismisses the crowd. And then what does he do? He goes up in the hills and he prays. And it's a crisis. What's the difference between Jesus and this army of patriots? Well, they want to eat and fight. He wants to stop and pray. And we are too much like them. And so, I'd like us to stop and pray. Those people were foolish in their choice. 
Those people were foolish in their ways. They were foolish in trying to incite a nationalistic rebellion. They were not hearing what Jesus was saying. And he wanted to dismiss them and stop and pray. And I would like us to stop and pray. And for whatever is going on with you, to ask God to forgive us our foolish ways. Dear Lord and Father of mankind, forgive our foolish ways. Jesus prays through a personal decision. He prays through a national decision. But the most difficult was praying through a universal decision. Mark chapter 14. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. 
going a little farther, he fell to, his, to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Back in the personal crisis, Jesus decides between two pretty good options. Will he stay in Galilee and do his work there, or will he follow a wider mission? He makes the decision in prayer. In the national crisis, the choices are clearer, but they're more difficult. The 5,000 patriots think he should be king. He would be a great king. He would be the best king that Israel ever had. And the pressure to please so many must have been great. But again, he makes his decision in prayer. You see, each successive transition in his life is more difficult than the last one. And each turning point and each decision prepares Jesus for the most difficult decision of all. I mean, just put yourself there in that time and in that place. What does Jesus know? He knows that the agents of evil are gathering. Judas has betrayed him. His religious enemies are coming to arrest him. So what does he do? Where does he begin? Just a stone's throw away, there are the twelve, his support group, asleep. Depression, confusion has drained them. They're frustrated, they're exhausted, they don't understand. They've not been listening. What's the distance between Jesus and his sleeping team over there? Not far away are two trials, one before the Sanhedrin, one before Pilate. Lies will be told. Fear and panic will overrule truth. What's the distance between that legal sham and the justice of an eternal God? For Jesus, the distance is measured in units of prayer. And so, he did what he always did. He made yet another decision in prayer. And then he arose, he woke up his disciples, he met his enemies, and he completed his mission. It was a decision made in prayer. It was a decision you make when you trust God. It's a decision you make when your soul has been stilled. And so let's pause and let's reflect on the stillness that our souls need. Be still, my soul. Yeah.
this a little definition of prayer prayer is a shield to the soul a sacrifice to God and a scourge to Satan wrote John Bunyan I'd like you to think through this with me and notice these principles of prayer just look at the first line prayer is a shield to the soul and the principle I think is to Position yourself to hear God. Each morning, Jesus physically positioned himself to hear God. And we can make the decision to position ourselves in the morning, in the evening, individually, as families, in small groups, in classes, around our dinner tables, wherever we are. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to drive and meet a small group of people, and I'm going to pray for all of them as I go there. We can position ourselves to pull that shield up, the shield of faith, and pray for guidance and pray for unity and pray for confidence and pray for faith. A shield to the soul. He also says that prayer is a sacrifice to God. The principle is decide who is in charge. God's in charge. And each time Jesus prayed, he was surrendering to God. And surrendering to God strengthens our unity. Reaching up to God is the foundation. It's the way I position myself to reach into you and to reach out to our community. And then he says, prayer is a scourge to Satan. The principle is I need to follow the right voice. Jesus was very careful who he listened to because there was a voice in his day and the same voice in our day that's a voice that we must never listen to. Satan will be that discouraging voice. He will offer advice 
that it will never take us to God. Satan's purpose, John says, is to murder every person. And it's constant prayer that will keep my ears tuned to the right voice. I want to bring my part of this to a close by going back to where we started, this personal decision. This is something that you can use tomorrow. The way Jesus managed his morning can help me immediately. I want you to look at four movements from Jesus here in Mark chapter 1. The first movement I just call time. Jesus' time was very early in the morning. And that may not be your time. You may be like, I've heard lots of people say, I'm not a morning person. And that may not be your time, but the question is, when is your time? When will be your time? He had a time, and he said it, and he met it. Time. The second movement I hear in this text is I just I call it movement. He got up, he went off. And sometimes I'll need to do that. I'll need to leave. I'll need to leave where I am because it's not working here. Noise or activity or distraction. So I'm going to I'm going to go from where I am. He he had to set off. And that this may require something of you to leave to a place. And that's the third movement I noticed here, place. He called it a solitary place. And I don't know uh, how he found these places. I like to think that as he was going into villages, he noticed them. He saw them. And he said, that's, that's where I'm going to be tomorrow morning. Or here's another good place. And he got up early, and he left where he was, and he went to that place, and he was alone. I have a good friend in this church. He's a young father. You know where his place is? It's a lawn chair in the garage because his children think he's leaving. And that's the only place he can go and have his quiet time. It's quiet in the garage. Sometimes it's a bit cold or a bit hot, but that's his place. Where is your place? Where will it be? Will it be a coffee shop in a corner somewhere? Will it be your living room chair? Will it be on the back porch? Will it be like a friend of mine who took his lunch break sitting in his car? And that was his place. Where will it be? And then finally, the fourth movement I saw here, purpose. What do you do there? What did Jesus do there? He prayed. He prayed. Now look at all of them. All four of them. Austin put that last one up. Time, movement, purpose, place. Are you looking for a template? There it is. And it comes from the life of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this amazing picture of Jesus making decisions, moving through transitions in his life modeling for us a style of faith. We pray, Father, that 
We will look for our time. You'll show it to us. And we'll move wherever we need to move through the day. We'll find the place and we'll spend our purpose in prayer. In scripture, in prayer, in thought, in meditation, just being with you. And then like Jesus, we can rise and go about our day fulfilling the mission you've given us. Thank you, Father, for the picture of Jesus. Thank you for your patience with us. We ask for your help through this next week. We love you, Father. Please hear our prayer because of Jesus. Amen. This evening, if we can help you in any way with prayer, uh, things you'd like to tell this congregation, or if you'd like to pray with someone here or talk to someone afterwards, our elders are here, several of us ministers are here. We'd love to help you. But if we can help you right now, won't you let us know as we stand together and sing. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Come unto me and rest. Lay down the weary one, lay down thy head upon my breast. I came to Jesus as I was, weary and worn and sad. I found in Him a resting place, and I came to Jesus and